Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Voice of Liberty, a podcast produced by Convention of States. My name is Bradley Cooper, and I am your host. Now, before we go any farther, if you want to learn more about the Convention of States project, our mission, and what we stand for, please visit our website, cosaction.com. You can learn a whole lot about our organization. Now, if you were able to join us last week, now, if you weren't, I'd highly encourage subscribing to the podcast and listening to the first episode. We talked with State Director Brett Sturley from Missouri about what is going on right now with the coronavirus, what it means for your liberty, and what the Convention of States Project is all about. Now, Brett brought up the fact that what the Convention of States Project really does is change who is able to propose amendments to the Constitution. Is it Congress, or could it be your local state legislator? And to sort of expand off of that point, the communications team and I figured this week we should have a state legislator join us on the podcast, and we really couldn't think of anyone better in the country than State Senator Eric Burleson. Senator Burleson has fought for the Convention of States Project in Missouri for years and years. He's the sponsor of our resolution in the Senate, and he has some pretty powerful words to share with you all today. No matter what state you are in, you can all learn something, just like I have, from Senator Burleson here today. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome onto the show Senator Eric Burleson. All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Eric. Absolutely. Glad to be able to join. Well, this year has been incredibly strange and and there's been twists and turns as we go down the road, to say the least. And I'm sure the legislative session was significantly impacted in Missouri. What are your takeaways from this session, especially as it's probably one a session that has gone completely different than it's ever gone before? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. You know, one of the things I've always uh, recognized about Missouri politics and, is that every session is different, and it's uh, and they've got their own unique stories to tell. And, and of course, this year will be the year of COVID nineteen and how that impacted the session. But uh, as you can, anybody who's paid attention to Missouri politics over the years knows that um, uh, there's always some drama and and some event that makes things interesting. Well, speaking of that drama and behind-the-scenes event, are there any behind-the-scenes stories that you can think of or would would want to share with our audience today? You know, I can just thinking about how COVID kind of un, unfolded was really it, it was something I will never forget. I, I think it was leading up to that. Uh, there was a week in March, I want to say... Oh, March the 9th through the 13th or so, mm-hmm. leading up that week, COVID had been something that was on everybody's radar, uh, we, it was, but it was something that was going on in China or something that was starting to happen in Italy. It wasn't really, it wasn't that big of a deal. Everybody had concerns about it. In fact, I had been planning a, um, I was going to be flying out of the country with Governor Parson during that that spring uh, break weekend week. Oh wow! Uh, to to go to Israel and we were going to be doing a trade mission. We, we were planning to meet with a lot of businesses that do business with Missouri businesses, and um, 
and and uh, it, it suddenly went from being in fact the beginning of that and in the senate we really you know we were everything was starting to kind of ramp up towards that um toward the that week we we were doing our normal thing that we, we were on pace to pass the budget in time everything seemed um you an outlier and i remember Bill Eigel, Senator Eigel, was the first one to kind of start raising a red flag, saying this is starting to look like this might be a, a pandemic that affects the United States. Um, and so he was, set, you know, in our, in our meetings, set, we're suggesting that we keep an eye on it, that it might impact, we might start having to think about uh, some of the things that, uh, that what, you know, that we ended up having to make decisions about. Yeah. Access to the building and and whether or not uh, we start sanitizing more often, things like that, right? But mm-hmm. within about a two day period of time, the it went from being something of a little bit of concern to to understanding that this isn't going to have a massive implication on the United States and and even down to Missouri. Us, we often think of ourselves as this really protected place where uh, from the east and the west coast and we are but i think by the end of the week everybody realized that this was going to be a big deal i know that same week um i was actually in the middle uh it was our district debate tournament and we were about two hours in going just as normal you know just like you'd said it was on everybody's radar but we didn't really think that it was you know going to directly impact us in missouri for that same reason you know we're we're pretty isolated and then sure enough, about two hours into that tournament, there were a couple confirmed coronavirus cases in the area, and the national organization came down and actually shut down the tournament right in the middle of our you know, national qualifying debate season. So it definitely wasn't good for you know, the, the timing for the debate season, but what about you know, the, the political campaign season? How is, how is that being impacted? I know you're not up for election this cycle, but do you know of how the coronavirus is impacting the campaign environment as a whole or, you know, the, the social distancing aspect of that? You know, I was talking with a consultant today about this, that earlier this morning, that um, this is good news if you're a conservative, but the, he was indicating that, you know, certainly it's had an impact on all campaigns, but he said that, um, Candidates who tend to be more conservative have been have been out there hitting the doors, knocking doors in a respectful way, and um, and it's kind of almost in a way because they they are they're not using it as an excuse mm-hmm. to not campaign. They're instead they're saying, "Hey, I understand what's going on, but uh, me knocking on someone's door is not infecting them. I'm not especially if I." St- Stay outside, stay in my distance, which is what you do anyway. When you knock on somebody's door, the first thing you do is step about ten feet back so that you don't intimidate somebody or, or, or you know, that's just kind of a natural instinct. The door. Yeah. So you're anybody who knocks doors will tell you you're well beyond. I'm mean, usually ten to twelve feet or more away from somebody when you knock the door. And I think a lot of it's given those candidates who are aggressive, uh, who candidates who, um, who use shoe leather to win campaigns. Generally, it's not, uh, it's not slowed them down. 
it has slowed slowed down personal meetings, um, ability the ability for people to to have lunch meetings and raise money that way. Um, but but a lot of times a lot of campaigns are raised the money's raised by dialing for dollars and making phone calls. And I don't think that it's impacted campaigns in that regard. So I think you're going to see this election. You'll see, you're going to still see the campaign ads. You're going to still see uh, the mail that's coming in in mailbox. Uh, money is still going to be spent, but um, but those door knocking campaigns seem to have uh, benefited more conservative candidates because they're not they're not afraid to go knock on doors. Well, Well, speaking of, you know, sort of using the coronavirus as an excuse, I know that, you know, if if door knocking, you're already taking that safe natural distancing. To me, it at least makes sense that we could sort of apply that, you know, safe natural distancing, whatever recommendations that, you know, are given for even voting. But one of the laws that was passed this session actually um, allowed mail-in voting in Missouri sort of on on a more broad scale. How is that process going to work? What what really was in that law, and what does it mean for Missourians? So the result was the Senate Bill 631, and what it is allows for the mail-in ballots, but only for this year during the COVID-19 okay. um, issue. And so that's at least a good part that it's not just uh, it's not mail-in voting um, in perpetuity. The other uh, so. People can send out for a mail-in, they can request a mail-in ballot from their local election, uh, you know, county clerk or whomever, uh, and then they have to do that prior to, I think it's uh, the second Wednesday prior to the election. And so they have to have, um, whenever they do that, they have to have a, provide a copy of, I think they're you know, voter ID card, or um, they have to have some proof, including their license, um, that kind of information whenever they submit, like a utility bill, those kind of statements. Yeah. Um, And then they have to return it in the mail um, with a notarized signature in order to be counted. So while uh, while it we do we're going to be providing that for people during this time period at least it's good that we have got some checks in place the other thing that i the other thing about that bill overall that i hesitated to vote why i hesitated to vote for is that we significantly increased the payments that a candidate has to make in order to appear on the ballot so yeah uh, we i think we in some cases tripled the amount of money that a candidate has to write a check for in order to appear on the ballot. And I, I just don't, I'm not sure that I'm a fan of uh, restricting access to, um, to, to, for people to vote for you. Yeah, that, that's for sure. Now, I know in Greene County here in my community, there's the numbers already with just in the first couple of weeks of mail-in ballot requests is insane. Are you concerned in general about voter fraud in the 2020 election more than normal? No, I, I absolutely am concerned. And what um, what concerns me isn't the counties like Green County, because I think we've got a great candidate or we have a great uh, clerk yeah. uh, in Green County that will be watching for, for any kind of fraud. My concern are those counties where they are not watching for fraud. If anything, they're embracing any kind of uh, ballot stuffing. 
that occurs. And so uh, that is that is absolutely a concern. And, and I think while the legislature tried to do everything they could to um, put some of those restrictions in, you know, you can't have the, a perfect system. So um, I definitely, I do have some concerns and I think that we'll have to be paying a lot of attention to what the outcome is. Now, you're actually um, the Senate sponsor for the Convention of States resolution, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. What has that experience been like? Uh, You know, there's probably potential legislators or legislators across the country that are are tuning in. Is there, you know, with the Convention of States movement, is it different than other resolutions that you may have sponsored in your time in the Missouri legislature? And how's sort of the, the opposition to that? You know, the, the funny thing about Convention of States is I will tell you, it, there's probably nothing more important that we could pass than that we could spend our time on than, than this issue. When you think about all of the things that we work on in the legislature, a lot of them are bills that might change the name of a road or, they, or they're fixing some issue with a department or an agency or they're, they're helping out some anecdotal story that was that comes from somebody's community that's most of the legislation we deal with are things that um and there's always usually a story behind some piece of legislation and what's it what i find really if anything frustrating is that this issue which if that we, we have the opportunity to really finally push back on the federal government really finally correct what i think is a long has has been a um, mistake that is mistakes that have happened that have really set us down this this road of having an imbalance in our nation and and i think that's what's really awesome about this opportunity is that there's no one who has the authority to to do this but the legislatures of each state uh, yeah and so they we have the responsibility to do this. We have a responsibility to correct the federal government. In fact, if we don't take action, we're the ones that should be blamed. And yet, what's so interesting to me is that whenever I file a piece of bill like this, a resolution, the response I often get from a lot of lawmakers is, is uh is that an eye roll, if you will. They kind of see this as, oh, this is just one of those uh, one of those constitutional guys. He's using the word constitution again. And, <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of sad to me how um, quite a few people really don't take this role seriously and they spend most of their legislative career doing what I would call um, small potato issues. To me, I want to do big things. I want to do things that have a huge impact. I'm taking time away from my family, from my kids, from my wife to serve my community. And I don't want to do it to do small potato things. I want to be up there to do things that are important and that will will last for, for generations. Well, that's awesome. And I mean, I know you had mentioned that a lot of times you get a response of just sort of like an eye roll. And in the position of a legislator, is there times where in your, you know, job you have witnessed the federal government 
pushing down directly on the state legislature. Like when these people are just rolling your eyes when they're hearing about the Convention of States resolution, do you think that they just haven't experienced federal overreach? Or is it is it just solely because, you know, the word constitution is mentioned? As a state representative, are there times where the federal government has sort of came in and said, you can't do this or we want you to do it this way? Oh, absolutely. I, I was first elected in the House in 2008 and my, I was sworn in January of 2009. And uh, within a very short time period, we had a, all of, all of this, uh, these new stimulus funds that were coming through the, the states and being forced to have to uh, spend money the way the federal government wanted it to be spent. We then were followed up with Obamacare, and the state of Missouri was uh, basically forced to implement provisions of Obamacare. Um, we were not required to expand Medicaid because uh, Chief Justice Roberts indicated that that was a bridge too far. Uh, but uh, we are still being pushed and pushed and pushed. In fact, the Medicaid expansion is on the ballot now in Missouri. Mm-hmm. It's basically the federal government's way of incentivizing states to become more socialized. Um, and I absolutely am frustrated with the federal government's overreach. Uh, but as, as, we, as we spoke before, some legislators just think Either they, some legislators are, let me back up. Many legislators are on board with convention of states and agree with, agree with our goal. Mm-hmm. I would say about a third of them are in that camp. A third of them are, don't really care and, and kind of have an eye roll to this. They don't think that this is really important enough to spend much time on. And then another third of them, and I'm, I'm speaking within the Republican Party, probably another third of them like the fact that government, the federal government is sending more money and like the fact that the federal government is growing and taking out more loans and more debt because they like spending money. They like like building more roads and building more bridges. And and who doesn't? But I don't like building roads and bridges on on the debt of my children and my grandchildren. And uh, and so I'm, uh, I'm different than some of those. And but that just should give you an idea of the makeup of, of the Republican Party in today's politics. And for all of the listeners out there, you know, Senator Burleson is the sponsor for the Convention of States resolution in Missouri, and he is a senator in the Missouri legislature. And the role of a district captain, and I'm sure Senator Burleson has had, uh, you know, several interactions with district captains all over the state, but it's really just to get to know your legislator and your community and build a relationship with them in a state that maybe hasn't passed yet, or if you have passed, get to know them because there's always resolutions that have to follow with you know, the, the big Convention of States resolution. And if you do that, if you, if you take action on our website, which is www.cosaction.com, you can join our team as a district captain. And I'm sure Senator Burleson will tell you, district captains really play an integral role. And we couldn't be successful. We couldn't have an operation like we have without those district captains. So especially with everything going on right now all across the country, it is really the perfect time to join our team as a district captain. Yeah, I I have been amazed at how um, how uh, much work and how how committed um, the volunteers are with um, Convention of States. Uh, one of the first 
and, and it creates lasting friendships and relationships for years and years and years. Some of the best people I've met, um, Keith Carmichael, Brett Sterley, Rodney Huckleberry, Les Overall. These are people that are, you know, when I think about Convention of States, these are people that are true patriots. They're the Minutemen of our era. And uh, Linda Bailey, she's a, she's been fantastic in Christian County. Uh, we just have got a lot of a lot of uh, grassroots volunteers, and to me, uh, this isn't just a. It, it'd be one thing if if I was just trying to do this issue on my own, but it's really it means a lot to have people that got your back and and are volunteering alongside you. Well, that's amazing, and I just really want to say thank you, Senator, for taking time out of your busy schedule to jump on with me. And for all of our listeners out there, I can't wait to see you on next week's episode of Voice of Liberty. Make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It definitely helps out, and I'll see you next week. Oh, it's a time.